Um, so we're in the we're in what is called the Lord's Prayer. Anybody grow up Catholic? Okay, it was called Our Father, Our Father who, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's what Viv taught on last week. I'm so glad we record these now. By the way, if you have a phone, you can listen to any message uh, if you can get on the internet of Communitas now because we're posting them on our website. So I, I got to hear Viv's message last week. And and so I'm mainly, I'm mainly here to correct it today. I'm just kidding. She did a wonderful job of getting us started. Um, the, the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, is found in what we're calling the, the Sermon on the Mount, or we like to call it the Message on the Mount. I've explained why I like to rename it is because sermons are when, for me growing up, was when someone was pointing the finger and yelling and raised voice. And Jesus never taught that way. I don't believe he did. And in fact, I want to tell you, this week I was re reading this, the Message on the Mount again in Matthew 5, where it starts. Verse 1 says this. Literally, this is what it says. When Jesus saw the crowds... He went up on the mountainside and sat down. And his disciples came to him and he taught them. So all the images that I've heard over the years and ideas that I've had about this message that Jesus gave is that it was a large crowd, thousands of people. Every TV show or movie that's tried to depict this, they even including The Chosen, which is one that's out right now. You may not have heard of that, but they have large crowds coming. And there could have been, there were probably more than just his disciples. Actually, at this point in the story, he hadn't even called the 12 yet. In fact, he hadn't even called Matthew yet. So Matthew, who wrote this down, must have got it from someone else because he wasn't even there, likely. He was still a tax collector. So this is a, this, the reason I'm telling you all this is that this, what's called famously the Sermon on the Mount, was Jesus sitting on a mountainside. And I think in, um, do I have my clicker here? I think... Um, this this is um, the Sea of Galilee. And when I was in Israel, this is one of the places they took us to. And they said, this is probably the area where he gave his Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it wouldn't have had a wire fence like that back then. Uh, that was from a storm. Um, and they have places to sit there. And it spreads out quite a way. So in theory, you could have lots of people. But probably that's not what happened. Jesus sat down. And when you sit down, you're usually not you know, talking like a preacher talks and telling people you need to get saved and you need to have dead and all that. No, he probably, that's probably not what's going on. He sat and talked in a more speaking conversational voice with his disciples. And this was to train them to do the work that he was going to hand the baton to them. So when Jesus said, follow me to his disciples, he meant follow me in the way that I've instructed you now. And this, in the Sermon on the Mount, if we did nothing other than that, it would change the world. We would be people who turn the other cheek rather than payback. We don't live eye for eye, tooth for tooth. We're peacemakers. We bring light. We bring peace. We bring joy. We don't have enemies. We love our enemies. That's all in the Sermon on the Mount. And so again, when, whenever you think of this portion of scripture, it's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And then Luke uh, Luke 6, he gives a ver his version of it a little bit shorter. So it's the Cliff Notes version, the smaller condensed version. But when you think about this, or if you ever read it, when I would encourage you, if you're going to read nothing else, read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This is Jesus' main instructions to us. And if the story is true of God coming into his own creation in the person of Jesus, I believe it's true. You may not, but if it is true, think about how weighty this is. 95 verses in the Bible are Jesus' longest message he gave. And I think it contains the heart of what really matters. Which, by the way, it says very little about going to heaven when you die, which Christianity has made it so much about that. What happens when you die? What happens when you die? Well, that's important. I'm not minimizing that. But think about if God incarnate is teaching human beings as he is in these three chapters, 
Um, he's not talking about that hardly at all. He's talking about the kind of woman or man that we are. How do we live? Um, do we look like him? Do we live like him? Are we actually following him? Are we actually putting into practice? And at the very end of his message, he tells us exactly why he told us. Because he said, he said, let me tell you, um, a man or woman who hears these words and doesn't put them into practice is like a person who builds their house on the sand. And when the storm comes, it falls. That's at the very end, end of this message. The man or woman who builds, um, who hears these words of mine, in other words, the ones he just shared in the Sermon on the Mount, one who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a woman or a man who builds their house on a rock and the storms comes and it won't fall. So here's what Jesus is interested in. People who practice what we preach, people who live out what he taught. He doesn't want believers. He wants followers. He wants disciples. He wants apprentices, people that will come alongside and live out what he taught. And there's no better place to look at what he taught than the Sermon on the Mount because it has it all there. How to get along with people who are not nice to you. How to get along with people who judge you. How to get along with people who are angry. You know, how to be a peacemaker in the world. And boy, do we need that today because everybody's at each other's throats today. In person or in social media, we're all polarized and divided. And Christians, as much as anyone else. And I don't, when I read the Sermon on the Mount, I go, how are we not getting this? It's so clear. So he taught somewhere, that's the Sea of Galilee, somewhere like there. That's um, my wife, by the way, in her purple sweatshirt, is right there. Yep. Um, we had a great time because we got to go with about 40 people and do some teaching cool places. This is one of them. Uh, I think Steve Andrews, was uh, lead pastor of Kensington, was actually teaching there. By the way, Chris is um, back in Michigan right now. It's my daughter's getting married in September, and this today was her bridal shower. And guess who doesn't go to a bridal shower? Guess who pays for most of it? <laughs> so, you know, I write the check and I don't get to, I don't get to attend. So anyhow, uh, she, she said to say hi, she, she'll be back next Sunday. Um, so um, sure love her and appreciate all she does for her kids. Um, so here, um, here is where um, we're going to go today. Lord's Prayer. I thank you, for, uh, Aaron, for picking that song because it just set it up beautifully. Um, your kingdom come. And let's just look at it. So that's where this is what Viv shared last week. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Here's what we're going to look at today. These three little phrases in verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is heaven. And my message is fairly short today. I just want to say, what is a kingdom? What does he mean by that? And what does he mean by his will being done on earth as it is in heaven? And just going to kind of unpack that. Now, I, I wrote down during the song, we just had one line in there. He says, everything changes when your kingdom comes. Um, looking at this phrase, let me ask you another question. Um, to what extent is God's will done in heaven, like percentage-wise? 100%. Because God is fully ruling and in charge, and everybody in heaven wants to live under his grace and his love. On earth, are we close to 100%? No, right? There's injustice and harm and failure and pain and brokenness, death all over, all the time. I sometimes feel like I don't know how God manages this because having been to India so many times, I, I can close my eyes and picture what's going on just in that one spot. The level of poverty and disease and suffering and premature death and isolation and everything. One little spot. And then I think of the whole planet. And of course, you don't have to go to the other side of the world to see that. You, we see it here in our own city. So think about how unlike heaven the earth is. 
So now Jesus is asking us to pray something very particular. He's praying that his kingdom would come. And if his kingdom comes, then his will will be done on earth like it is in heaven. So earth would look more like heaven than it looks now. So why would he ask us to pray this? Is this just a future thing? And I would say growing up and learning this, I was probably seven or eight years old when they taught us this prayer and I learned it. Didn't really think too much about it, just memorized it and had it in my mind. But when I did think about it, or I think when I heard sermons on this, this is what I think I everyone, I thought, someday Jesus is going to come and establish his kingdom and his rule. And then it's all going to be right. He's going to remake everything and all the bad's going to go away. And so the kingdom is all future. It's all somewhere down the road. Right now, we just have to endure an earth that looks nothing like heaven, where there's poverty and there's racism and there's anger and there's contempt and there's disease and there's suffering and there's isolation, there's depression and anxiety. We just have to deal with that because that's just reality. But someday in the future, something's going to happen and God's going to do something big and his kingdom is going to come and then his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I I just want to tell you right now, I don't believe that's at all what Jesus means here. Not at all, not even slightly. That's not what he was saying. He was asking us to pray that his kingdom would come now. And in fact, he actually said many times in the scripture that his kingdom is already present. In the gospels, you read this over and over again. He said, the kingdom is here. I brought it right now. The reason we struggle with that is because we don't see what we think a kingdom would look like if a king is actually ruling. If God is in charge, he wouldn't let all this happen. So how can that be true? How can his kingdom be here now? Well, this this uh, part of the Lord's Prayer, literally about 20, a little over 20 years ago, changed my life when I finally grasped what he was saying. Because what God was saying is that the time is now for his kingdom to come and you are a part of it. This is God's vision. This is his desire for our earth now, that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done now. This turned me into an activist as a follower of Jesus. Because as you'll see in a moment, my main idea today is that that his kingdom is here now, but it only gets expressed through us. He is ruling, but he has to rule through us. He has a vision for the world that only happens through us. He doesn't come in like a king. I think when we think of kings, we think of someone that politically or nationally is in charge and has an army and he enforces his will. And he's like the, he's the one, he's the boss. But the way Jesus actually came very subtly, God incarnate, God in human flesh taught us through the Lord's Prayer, especially and through the Sermon on the Mount, that we become the ones through which his kingdom uh, actually becomes a reality. So God doesn't want us to pray a prayer that we're not actually doing ourselves. Don't sit piously in my little corner with all the bad stuff on planet Earth and say, oh, God, would your kingdom come and would your bill be done? on earth as it is in heaven, and then I walk right by all the injustice, all the suffering, all the problems, and do nothing. God doesn't like that. In fact, in James, James' a book in the New Testament, um, near the end of the New Testament, he says this, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. Might be some of you right now struggling with this. If one of you, Craig Mays, if you say to them, go in peace, which is really a prayer, a blessing, go in peace, be warmed and fed. Oh, I'm so sorry you're suffering. Go in peace. God bless you. Be warm and be fed. And then I go home and crawl into my bed at night after I've eaten a bag of potato chips and watched TV, and I don't even think about you or him or her. God's saying, I don't want any of that. Go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, 
Faith by itself, if it is not accomplished by action, is dead. So here's what I'm here to pronounce. I've lived too much of my life with a dead faith. Because I wasn't moved to do anything. I thought, you know, pray that God's kingdom has come, but I'm not a part of that. That's God's business. God, bring your kingdom. Let your will be done. Earth is in heaven. But that has nothing to do with me because I got mine. I got what I need. I'm okay. Disconnect totally from the heart of God. So going back to this, for me to say, pray your kingdom come every day, If I, which I, I pray every morning is part of what I do when I get up and start my day. I pray the Lord's Prayer. It's very easy to memorize. When I come to this part, I stop here and say, what's my role today? Because don't just pray, because that's giving that blessing to that poor person and not lifting a finger to help them. So right in the middle of this pious, maybe supposedly pious Lord's Prayer is a call to action. And this phrase is the call to action. God, I'm going to pray this, but then I'm going to say, what is my part in this? And if I don't believe and embrace that I have a part in this, then I have dead faith, empty faith, powerless faith, faith that's not going to make any difference. All right, real quickly then, let me just define terms. What is a kingdom? All right, think of a dome and think of a king. A dome is an arena. It's it's some some geographical definition. And the king is the one who's in charge. Um, you know, I, I when I think of a dome, I think of Madison Square Gardens in, uh, you know, the Knicks. Who's a big Knicks player today? Anybody know? I don't. Julius? What's his name? Julius what? Rendon? Brandon. Brandon. Julius Brandon. You can see how much I follow the Knicks. <laughs> okay. Randall. Okay. I'm going to just call him Julius. Okay. I grew up with Julius Irving, Philadelphia, so I know a Julius. All right. So what, what would someone would say if they came in to the Madison Square Gardens and Knicks are playing and he comes on the floor, they'd say, this is his house, man. He owns this place. When he gets on the floor, he's in charge. He dominates. This is his game. He's going to set the pace. So the idea is that it, it's you You have essentially a king defines the range of the effective rule of that king. His kingdom is where a king is ruling. So the vision is for the earth, that God would rule the whole earth. Does it look like God is effectively ruling right now? And it doesn't look like it. So when should we expect it? And what will it look like? The kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done in on earth as it is in heaven. So what does that actually mean? Well, what I would say in this, this is just getting quickly to the point here, is that God is not interested. Jesus didn't come to gather a group of believers who believe the right things about the Bible and about Jesus. That's not what he came to do. That is part of it, to understand who he is and believe and put your trust and faith in him. Here's what he came to do. He's recruiting a community of followers who join him in his kingdom mission, helping the earth to look more like heaven. So is that going to be done? When will that be done? How will that be done? And this is how God has set it up. So when Jesus came and he said, okay, I'm here now. The kingdom's here now. Now go do what I've said and do what I've done. Follow my example and engage in the earth. And what I love about this is that every time we do one thing, one even little thing, we've taken back some territory for the kingdom. It looks a little bit more like heaven when we do that. Small things. It can be big things, but small things. When when you're this this happened on my subway ride coming in today. There was a guy 
sitting on the seat across a little bit down from me. And he was, he was kind of muttering and I could tell he had some problems and, and he got louder and louder. And then he, he was talking about God and Jesus, but he also was using foul language. It was all mixed in together. And then he got up out of his seat and he walked down and there was a elderly Chinese man here and he got right in his face and he started yelling at him. And then he was pushing him and poking him and I couldn't hear what he was saying. And then he sat back down and, and I, for a moment I was sitting there saying, okay, God, I don't want to be the next. I got my papers out. I got my earbuds in. And I see him in the corner of my eye, get up and walk down. And he stops right in front of me. So what do I do? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Like the old question, what would Jesus do here? He would be nice. I wasn't sure how to be nice. I think he obviously wasn't in his right mind, but how do I be nice? So when he came up and stood there, I stuck my hand out and he shook my hand. And then he put his hand on my shoulder and instead of the F word and everything else that he'd been saying, he said, and I looked him in the eyes, he said, bless you. And then he walked by. Now I don't, I don't want, this is not like I'm all that. Cause I, I wanted to hide, you know, I wasn't like initially, but when he, when he came in that moment. So let me ask you, did that look a little bit more like heaven than a broken earth? See, all it takes is a little thing. When, Anytime, so take the whole Sermon on the Mount. Anytime someone is mean to you and you don't return it, you return with a smile. You love your enemies, you turn the other cheek. I mean, I think the Sermon on the Mount calls us to be light bringers, salt dispensers, be salt in the earth, peace bringers, cheek turners, extra mile goers, cloak givers, peacemakers. And there's more there. Those are the ones I can recall. Every time we do that in any moment, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is not hard stuff, but it's hard. It's not complicated stuff, but it's hard to do. This is what this part of the prayer is about. We are to ask God for this, but then God says, okay, but Craig, you do understand that the way I bring heaven to earth is through you. No other way. There's no plan B. God doesn't say, okay, you guys just go ahead and do whatever you want. I'll do it. People in my circles, maybe you haven't heard this before, but in my circles for years, I've heard this so often, I'm, I'm actually tired of it. We are to be the hands and feet of Jesus. The reason I'm tired of it is that I said that myself so many years, even as a teacher, preacher, and wasn't doing hardly any of it. I didn't understand this like I understand it now. now I'm, not, I'm not living it out perfectly, but I get it now. That when I get up, this is what my, my as, if I'm going to say yes to Jesus, I'm going to follow you. This is what I'm called to do, to get up every day and say, how can I be a bringer of your kingdom? And I love this idea. Again, I hope you'll think about it this week. Every time you choose to love when love isn't coming your way, to be kind when kindness isn't coming your way, to be generous when you're not around it, every time you do that, you're fulfilling this. At the, at the very end, um, So we cannot pray your will be done without praying my kingdom go. Why don't you just think about that? When I say, God, I want your will to be done, that means that I my kingdom has to go. Oh, I have a kingdom? You're darn right I do. And so do you. Your kingdom is what you want and what you're going to try to bring into your life. And they're not necessarily bad things, but if you make yourself the center of it, you'll never be part of God's purpose to bring his kingdom. So my kingdom needs to go if his kingdom is to come, which means my selfishness, you know, my desire to be left alone, like on the train this morning, I didn't want to, I, I just wanted to read. 
and listen to music and just get into church. I wanted to go, I wanted to go be with God. <laughs> you know, you know, forgetting for a moment that God's right there saying, you're already with me and my kingdom is right here and you're bringing the kingdom. So can you bring the kingdom here? What does that mean in the everyday moments? It means that I'm going to have to give up my self-centeredness, my self-preoccupation. You know, when you're married, I've been married 38 years uh, next week is our anniversary. And um, you know what our kingdom is always been for 38 years is what's the right temperature inside of our apartment or house. And in my kingdom, it's about 52 degrees. I love cold. And Chris is more like 92 degrees. So the whole kingdom is expressed when we go to the thermostat, right? Oh, in my home, in my dome of influence, my kingdom, boop, there, now, that's great. And then I walk away, and then a little bit later, man, it's getting hot in here. I go back, and Chris has gone and dialed that thing up. Nighttime, daytime, winter, summer, we're opposites. So so I know that's kind of a silly example, maybe, but think about, think about, think about me wanting to rule my kingdom. So if if the kingdom of peace and love and self-sacrifice, loving of others is going to, my kingdom has to go. Now, maybe we can find a middle ground, like not 92 or 52, which is what we've managed to do. But there's a willingness to give up is what I'm saying. You can't be, you and I cannot be instruments of God's kingdom and bringers of his kingdom if we aren't willing to give up some of our own stuff. So every time you ever hear this phrase, or if you pray to the Lord's Prayer and you say, your kingdom come, pause and say in your mind, my kingdom go. Because that's what the main thing is going to get in the way of us bringing the kingdom is when we, of God, is when we bring our own kingdom. So I want to finish with this. At the very end of Matthew, um, I'm just going to skip Luke 14 because I, I was going to be short today and I'm going to be long if I do that. So I'm just going to finish with this. Um, there's, a, there's a parable that Jesus tells at the end, near the end of Matthew. I just read it yesterday and thought maybe that's all I'll end this uh, message today. The parable is when uh, it says at the end of the age, God is going to gather everybody together. Everybody together. All nations, it says. And then he says, all the angels come. So use your imagination for just a moment and picture this scene of massive humanity and angels. And I have, I'm not sure how many angels there are, but there's a verse in Matthew that says, I talk about children. It says, they're, they're little, these little ones, these children, their angels are always before my father in heaven. I always encourage parents um, that you have, there's an angel assigned to your child who talks to the father every day about your child. So you have a great ally. So that's a sidebar, but so there's lots of angels, in other words. So try to picture the scene. Let's take a moment and try to think of it. Jesus has come, gathered everybody. And he has a throne. He sits on it. This is Matthew 25, by the way. And he's going to speak. And I imagine when he's going to speak, this is, by the way, at the end of the age, which means he come, it says he comes in all of his glory. This is not the one in the robe and the sandals walking the dusty roads of Israel. This is the creator of everything who now comes in all of his glory. And he sits on the throne. He's got everybody there. He says, before we enter into the new heaven, new earth, the new age, when everything is made right, I have one last conversation I want to have with you. You know what it's about? Here's what he says to the crowd. He doesn't say, this denomination got it right. This is the best kind of worship music. This is this or that, whatever. Here's what he wants to talk about. He says, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you offered hospitality. When I was sick, you took care of me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. 
Do you, do you know what it's like to have been a professional Christian? As I've been all my life, meaning I went to seminary and all my vocation, every, every dollar I've made in my life has mostly been working in ministry. To have done that for decades and then a few years, well, actually about 20 years ago, reading this passage like I read it for the first time, and I said, I've never visited anybody in prison. I've never actually given clothes, clothing to somebody personally. I wrote some checks, but personally that was needed clothes. I've never, and I went through the list and said, because it says he's going to separate them. And that's not the point of the parable, but that separation, the ones that didn't, didn't. But what is he saying in this parable? The, one of the, la the last teachings of Jesus before he went to the cross. He said, if you're going to follow me, that's what it's going to look like. So let's go through that list. How many hungry people are there in heaven? How many thirsty people? How many naked people? How many sick people? How many strangers who have no community? How many people in prison with nobody visiting them? None. So when you say, when I say, when I pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's no better place to go than Matthew 25 and saying, what would that look like for me? To what level could I be involved in that? Because here's my here's my hunch. My hunch is that if followers of Jesus in name actually followed Jesus, there'd be planet Earth very few hungry people, people that can't get medicine, thirsty people that don't have clean water, people who can't even afford clothes. There'd be none of that. So this is really a call. In this prayer, it's a call to action. It's so funny to find that in a prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God says to us, really? That's what you want? Okay, I got a job for you. Let's get going. So my challenge for you this week, and maybe next week we'll see if there's any stories that come out of this. Think about even one small thing you can do that brings a little bit of heaven to earth. And, you know, it's funny, um, the song, I can't remember the phrase you guys are singing, but it was about hell lost another one. Well, what I would like to say is, is hell, hell lost another square inch. Of territory in the kingdom hell lost another square foot maybe maybe a square mile maybe it's bigger than that as, as it grows but let's think about a square inch this week be mindful of this and that's my challenge to you be mindful of this as you go out into your week of finding an opportunity where you can say here's how i want to respond but that would be bringing more hell into it i'm going to bring heaven i'm going to bring jesus i'm going to bring love and peace into it so god that's what we that's what we ask for today for your help to remind us this week and to look for opportunities where we can see earth look a little bit more like heaven in your name. Amen.